Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm Matt Jolly, and this is History Worth Saving. Coming to you from the Red Barn at Fairchance Farm in Georgia, where great American stories grow strong. Welcome to the third season. Please sign up for the newsletter at historyworthsaving.com so we can stay in touch. And if you like the show, tell your friends. If you don't, tell that guy who's always calling about your car warranty. Thanks again for listening. Now, here's the show. On this episode of the History Worth Saving podcast, we're talking to television journalist and friend Chase Ambrose. Chase, like so many Americans, is completely obsessed with cars. I mean, who's not? Four wheels take you anywhere you want to go. Only up to your imagination. But specifically, what we're focused on today is talking about the Cannonball Run. If you'll recall, of course, there's the movie. But this came out of an article written by a very special journalist from Car and Driver. And Chase will go into some of this. But here's the thing. The whole spirit of the Cannonball Run came out of rebellion. And as you know, if you've listened to this show, Americans, well, we're all about a good rebel. So how has this shaped car culture? What's being done today and where is it headed? That is the focus of this episode of History Worth Saving. Chase Ambrose joins us right now. Chase, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Matt. You and I uh, met at a TV station working a, a number of years ago and you've stayed in it. And of course, I've gone down the road of talking quietly with music in the background now. And I can do it from the comfort of my own home, and it's great. So, <laughs> welcome. It must, must be nice. It must be nice. You you have had one of the coolest careers in television. Uh, there there was a brief respite after you went full local native at a small station uh, out of the state of Georgia, and it just I mean you you it was all or nothing, and you gave it all of the everything you've got, and you you laid it all out there. You came home and you became a dog catcher. Talk to me about that because you actually enjoyed it, which, you know, I was like, if they don't put a camera with Chase, they're missing the best of this. Uh, well, basically, I came back due to it, it's kind of complicated. I'll try to do the simplest version I can. The The way my contract was broken with the station in Mississippi, I wasn't supposed to work literally anywhere for about. Uh, six months. <laughs> right, because TV, that's just the way they do it, right? You can't do anything if you're not doing it with us. That's right. Oh, so golly. so during during that time, I did a little extra work with uh, some different films and television products because, of course, there's a lot of stuff that they shoot in Atlanta. Then once I was able to work again, I'd put in for a job with the sheriff's office with animal enforcement, basically just because I... I like dogs, and uh, I thought that maybe I could I could do some good in that capacity, and I did. I, my first my first week or so there, I helped use Facebook to track down a guy who had warrants for dog fighting, and we did the warrants on his. Or he he was wanted for dog fighting. He had warrants for other things for for drugs and stuff. We went to his house, 
and were able to basically save about 16 dogs and uh, from from a horrible life uh, where they're, where they're abused and mistreated. And I thought I'm I've never gone into anything that I've done professionally with any sort of plan. I was just <laughs> always well, I'll do this for a while and see what happens. And that's kind of what happened with the with the dog catching thing. I really enjoyed my time in law enforcement. It was neat, especially having been a journalist in town before then to see it from that other side. But uh, soon enough, uh, about almost exactly a year to the day that I took that job, uh, the station that I'm currently at kind of came calling and made me an offer and I took it. So now I'm back on desk on a morning show. I love it. Well, and I get to watch you in the morning now and it's, it's always fun, but I, I, I bring this up because like so many people who, who find themselves in the storytelling business, your life itself is a great story. You're an army veteran. Uh, and part of the reason that your car I, I, I want to say habits here, but uh, that's not the best. Your, your car interests uh, stem from the death of your own father, who was killed in a rollover accident. And after that, you decided that you wanted to have the safest car on the road. And that journey led you to something that a lot of people um, might be a little uh, taken aback with. That's, that's true. So I have, since 1998, been a member of a hearse club out of Atlanta called Dead Ends, and I've owned... Because what else would it be called, right? I that's mean, that's true. <laughs> I, I, think, I think at last count, I've owned something like 15 hearses, not, clearly not all at the same time. Uh, but yes, and, and it's also interesting because the guy that founded that club... He and I had exactly the same childhood experience. We both lost our fathers at a very young age. We both, that was the first time either of us had ever seen a funeral car was at that, at the funeral. Um, and we both asked our mothers what kind of car it was. They said it was a hearse and we both asked if we could have one. And they said maybe someday. So it was, it was neat when I decided I, I spent some time in New York working for a low-budget film company, and I had to come back to middle Georgia because money kind of ran out. And I decided I was going to take what little money I had left, and I was going to go on and buy a funeral car. I'd wanted one in my whole life. And I, the Internet, this was the early days of the Internet. I reached out, found the Hearst, found the Hearst Club in Atlanta. It went under a different name at the time. It was, I think it just had one member. And that was the founder, Chris Deganchi. And I reached out to him and he said that he would help me find a hearse, a hearse as long as I joined the club. And I thought that was fair. And we hit it off right to begin with. And especially since we, uh, we had that same life story. Uh, he ended up officiating my wedding. And uh, we we formed the club with a couple of other people. And the club's still around today. And we still do stuff. Well, let's, you, you mentioned working for a low-budget film company. I mean, it's a rather popular low-budget film company within that cultic following that it has. But but that was right after your time at NYU, where you did attend film school. So I, I did, I'm and that was you. also because I, I'd gone, I'd met Lloyd Kaufman, who's the head of Trauma Entertainment, at a convention in Atlanta called DragonCon, and gave him a VHS tape of some comedy sketches that some friends of mine and I had done, not thinking that he would ever take a look at it. The next day I bumped into him. He called me by name and offered me a job. And a week later I was in New York working for him. 
And it just so happened that his wife was the New York film commissioner. So she was able to get me in. I don't have a, I don't have a film degree from NYU, but she was able to get me into some film classes. And so that was, uh, that's how, that's how that happened. <laughs> See the, the fascinating life of Chase Ambrose. Well, <laughs> you're, you're who better to talk to about cannonball run, which as, as I mentioned earlier, this, this sort of came out of an idea to protest the speed limit. You know, we dropped the speed limit down to 55 nationwide during the gas shortage. And people, as you can imagine, coming out of the 1960s with some of the fastest cars on the road, they weren't real happy about it. And I'll let you uh, kind of pick it up from here, because I, I think some of the stuff that you're doing with this is pretty fascinating. So Cannonball Run. Well, Brock Yates was a writer for Car and Driver magazine, and he and some other scofflaw friends of his in 71 decided that there needed to be some sort of organized protest to kind of prove that not necessarily supercars, but that skilled drivers with automobiles that were suitable to do so could safely traverse the country at high speeds. And he named it the Cannonball Run after uh, Erwin George Cannonball Baker, who in 1914 did a transcontinental run that took on a motorcycle that took 11 and a half days. And uh, so it was, it was almost tongue in cheek, but, but named after him. And that, but that original run that Baker did in 1914 sort of created what cannonball has become where people want to break that record. So like in 1917, another guy did it in seven days and 16 hours and so on and so forth um, for the motorcycle record. So what, what Brock did was he did the run and in a van called moon trash two and basically wrote about it. And then once the secret was out because of the articles, the, the reviews were basically, the same as you get when people talk about the cannonballs that go on today, it's about half people. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I want to do that. And about half people saying, Oh, this is dangerous and reckless and you're putting innocent lives at risk. But, uh, the way the movie kind of happened, which is the reason most people know about it and don't necessarily know it's real is there was a later cannonball run with, uh, Brock Yates co-driver was Hal Needham, Hal Needham, was Burt Reynolds' best friend and roommate, and he was a stunt man. And it was he and Brock did did it again in a Dodge van, but this time it was dressed up like an ambulance. Brock's <laughs> wife was the patient, and they had gotten a doctor. Hal Needham had basically roped a real doctor into riding in the back of the ambulance. The ambulance that they used in that run is the actual ambulance that's used in the movie. It's the same. It's the same. And in fact, there's a lot of vehicles in that movie that are either replicas of or actual cars from those cannonball runs, from those original runs. And uh, there's a channel called VinWiki that is a YouTube channel that is done by a guy named Ed Bullion, who I'll talk about a little bit later, who's one of the people who sort of has kind of helped kick off this new generation of cannonballers. And on that channel, he talks to different people who have done various cannonball runs. And one of his more recent videos, he talks to Brock Yates' widow specifically about the run in the ambulance because in the movie, there's the scene where they get pulled over by the New York State Troopers. And what you see in the movie 
or the New Jersey State Troopers, what you see in the movie is almost exactly what happened in real life, uh, including the doctor saying, oh, well, she can't be flown. She's got lung polyps and it's the senator's wife and the cops letting them go. So it's, <laughs> I, I, I highly recommend that. Right. So, Never underestimate the power of a good story. There you go. Right. So. And then they're off again. But I, I think everybody who's seen that movie identifies with this at some level. And now that we're living in the the era of 2021, I'm guessing that the technology has come a long way uh, and the speeds are probably uh, becoming faster and the times are, are becoming, you know, less and less and less. And now we count this down to minutes and seconds, not just days and half days like old Cannonball did. Where are, where are we at right now? Because. I'm I'm just dying to know, really. I mean, this is this is a massive race from coast to coast uh, and and everything in between has to you know fit in there somehow. So what are we looking at now time wise? Well, well, the path there, there's not a specific ground path. You're basically you have your start point, your end point. You can go any route that you want to go. Uh, the start point typically is the Red Ball Garage in New York. The end point is the Portofino Inn in California. The let me see. The current record right now is 25 hours and 39 minutes. That was done in May of 2020 by uh, Arnie Toman and Doug Tabbitt uh, in a 2016 Audi S6 disguised as a Ford Taurus police interceptor. They made it look like a fake police car. Uh, they actually used sort of a tape around the taillights to kind of give it the shape of a Ford taillight. It's kind of ridiculous. Their moving average speed was 110 miles per hour, uh, and their top speed was 175. And part of the reason that they're able to do these sorts of times now is they have a lot of it. There's a lot of advantages that Yates and the and the old crew didn't have. There's uh, there's radar detectors and laser jammers, and there's the internet. There's there's spotters. There's the Waze app. People use the Waze app and have other people drive ahead on the interstate at regular speed and just use the Waze app to say if there are any police on the side of the road. So that way there's a heads up when they get there. There's also some of the drivers will use blockers, which is much like Smokey and the Bandit, where they'll have another person vastly exceeding exceeding the speed limit in front of them so if someone gets pulled over it's that guy and not them because they're trying to set the record there's uh the the current solo record and this is a fun story fred ashmore who's a great guy did it in 25 hours and 55 minutes so just a little longer than the than the full record before a while it held the record he did it in a 2020 Ford Mustang GT that was a rental car. He rented the car, pulled the passenger seat and the rear seat out, and put fuel cells all, all basically anywhere that wasn't his seat, passenger seat, rear seat, trunk. He had to stop for gas one time uh, on the trip. And that's that's another thing, the fuel efficiency and whatnot. That, that slow, the, more, the more stops you make, the less your time is going to be it's really a balance at this point then between fuel efficiency and top speed i mean you want to hold a high average but the trick is not stopping right and so what you'll you'll typically have except for fred with the solo run you'll usually have one or two other people in the car with you so that you'll have a a driver a a co-driver that can take over so you don't get fatigued and also someone often people will spot with binoculars 
in the car, literally have one person watching the, the, the various apps and the detectors and have one person with binoculars specifically just looking to see if they happen to catch someone on the on the road. Uh, here's another record that's worth mentioning. The coast to coast to coast, New York, California, back to New York, uh, is uh, 130 hours and 49 minutes in 2015. The current one, though, is 74 hours and five minutes. And there were three fellows earlier this year who set the they did all 48 states all 48 contiguous states and i don't know if you've seen this but on social media there was a while back there was this map that was hey this is a road trip that you could take where you just touch every i'm not sure if that's the exact path they did but that's basically what they did you just as long as you drive through so they did all 48 states in 86 hours and 19 minutes Goodness gracious. I mean, the, the thought about doing this to me, uh, I think it just it, it comes down to proving the point that it can be done. And it's just the audacity of it. I mean, really and truly just that American uh, spirit that says, why not? Let's go do it. And, you know, hold my beer and I'll go better than you or go faster. I think that's the, the fun part in this. But it, it well, stems from something that was so, you know, in your face with the. Uh, uh, with the government, of course, and I think that every American, just because of the way our country was founded, can agree on that. And there are a lot of smaller runs that people do as well. There's there's one that uh, Tyler Hall started called the Southern Classic, which is basically the bandit run. You leave from the fairgrounds at Jonesboro, where they sh- opens the movie. You go to Texarkana, Texas, buy a six-pack of cores and come back. Uh, that's that's a fun one. There's a there's one that was supposed to happen a, a couple of weeks ago that ended up getting canceled. It's called the Southeast Shakedown, which is sort of a tri- triangular pattern that starts in Macon, Georgia, goes to Atlanta, goes up to Virginia, back to Savannah, then back down to Macon. Um, that's that's a fun little one as well. And then to Virginia, then course, though, no kidding, all the way up there. I mean, you've got a lot of highway. To, I, I believe it's. I'm not. I don't have the map in front of me. I believe it's Richmond, yeah. uh, and then and then back down. It's and it's it's a specific. Most of these are you do whatever path you want. That one is a specific. You know, all interstate path. So you have. There's a lot to contend with on all interstate paths, both with law enforcement and various construction zones and everything else. And you also have to be careful about people calling in your car. There's a, and that goes with, along with how you drive, because nobody, so far, we've been lucky. There's been no fatalities. There's only been, I think, one sort of minor accident. That was in the 70s. I think somebody had got their arm broke. But, uh, but, and, and again, that's, that's the whole point of this. There, there's, there are those that just want to set the record time, but it's, it's a test of the car, the driver, your endurance, fuel strategy, both for path and fuel efficiency. And the, the goal is to do it as safely as possible. Well, and I think that if you if you don't do it as safely as possible, you sort of you, you miss the original intent of Brock Yates, which was, hey, look, don't tell us how fast we can drive we're quite capable of doing it safely. I mean, that's the, that was the whole intent, right? Uh, the whole reason for the event. So there you go. And it's out of, it's out of print now, but you can still find copies of it online on eBay from time to time. Although I, I think when I got my copy, it was like seven bucks, but that was before 
Ed, uh, Ed Bolian and all these other people started breaking the cannonball records. I think the first time it was broken again was in, oh, let me check my notes here. Was because it Chase Ambrose, folks, has notes on this stuff. I mean, that's, that's true. That's it how was, he it runs. Was 2000, the, the, the first time it was really broken again was in 2006. It was 23 years after the last time anyone had attempted it. And then in 2013, Ed Bullion kind of blew that record out of the water and with, at, at 28 hours and 50 minutes. And that was sort of the beginning of this new modern cannonball obsession that a lot of people have. But the Brock Yates book is called Cannonball, World's Greatest Outlaw Road Race. And if you can get a copy of it, it's an excellent read. He outlines... He outlines all the all the cannonballs that he did and kind of touches on you know it was written before the latest uptick so but it gives it gives good history and it has a lot of great stories in it and during covid which i this is what's so fascinating to me during covid we actually saw an uptick uh, not only in the attempts but also in in the the distance between records i mean we really improved times as a country uh, during covid that's true, and a lot of that was actually accidental. There were now, don't get me wrong. There were people who, once COVID hit and cars were off the streets, for the most part, they want. They were like, "Oh, now's the great time to do a run." But Fred Ashmore, who did the solo run in the rental Mustang, he had his scheduled and planned out months and months ahead of time before he even knew COVID was going to be a thing. So, some of that is practice but a lot of it was just coincidence it, it just it was sort of a perfect storm of uh of the situation I, I know most of these guys that i've mentioned have done these runs without having any entanglements with law enforcement without without getting pulled over at all and a lot of that is is the preparation and the assistance by the other other drivers whether they be spotters or blockers or or whatever well, and are we at the point now, and I, that was my next question, are we at the point where if you do get pulled over, say, early on in the run, you, you probably won't make up that time because it seems like it's that close now? Well, most states have a law that if you're caught over 90 miles an hour, it's an automatic day in jail. Not not all of them do, but a lot of them do, and of course that's that very much depends on the officer and their demeanor, and if they if they know what's going on, or if the, you can convince them that you have the senator's wife in the in the ambulance and you're driving her to California. <laughs> right, you might you might get away with it. All right, so again, don't underestimate the power of a great story. But when you're Fred in a rented Mustang and all you have are fuel bladders around you, yeah, and and there there wasn't. You can find pictures of his setup online. He he didn't. I I don't think he so much as laid blankets down on top of them to make some, you know, subterfuge from a distance. Like it just looked like he was in a car with fuel cells. Um, so that, and that's another part of doing. A lot of people want to do these types of runs and think that they can do them, but then when the reality sets in of what is at risk, they will back out. And it, when you do. When you do gangster stuff, you may have gangster consequences, and that's that's a that's that's a big part of it. If you get if you get caught, you may well go to jail. You may yeah. have your car your your car is going to be impounded. There are depending on the state, there you know the laws vary wildly. There are some places where it could be permanently confiscated. 
it just it just depends on where you are. Let's talk about about your own desires here, and you can share as much or as little as you want. But I'm guessing after you've researched something like this, you know, you start weighing those consequences, right? And you start thinking about what might be in the realm of the possible for you. And uh, where are you at right now with all this? Well, of the people I mentioned, Ed is the only, I think I've talked to Ed online one time. Everybody else that I've mentioned for the most part, I've either talked to in person on the phone, hung out with, or we're at least Facebook friends and in some, in similar groups that discuss these sorts of things. It's a, it's a great community they're uh, they're pretty welcoming i've gotten to go I've, and the other thing about these these runs most of them are not full on organized hey we're all doing this we're going to leave 30 minutes you know or 8 minutes or whatever it is one after the other and, and go a lot of the runs especially the two record runs were solo runs that they just decided and organized themselves that they were going to do and that kind of helps it's well it's kind of a it's kind of a double edged sword really because you have the competition if you that you know someone could beat you if you do it the other way but you also have there's going to be if law enforcement sees that there's three or four weird looking cars some supercars or whatever going down over a hundred miles an hour, 140 or whatever, then word's going to get out that something's going on. And so the, the more low key you can be, the better. And it also makes it safer. So going back to your actual question, um, I have, let's see, how can I say it tactfully? I have done some events that I have not published times for because they're not time published worthy. And uh, now there is an app that a lot of these runs use called Glimpse. And Glimpse basically shows it's sort of it's a GPS, but it shows everyone where you are. And so that's how these things are verified is people. Uh, otherwise you could just say, Oh, I did it in 18 hours. Um, it, the glimpse glimpse gives some documentation and some verification. People will often run cameras and on, on their stuff as well. But scouting is something that I've done a little bit of blocking is something I've done a little bit of for a couple of people on a couple of runs. I have done a couple of smaller runs prior to the, Prior to the Bandit run, the uh, Southern Classic being a, a, a thing that was established, I had done that run a couple of times, but again, was not in the community, didn't keep track or didn't publish my times or anything. I guess technically because I was the first one to do it, I held the record, but, <laughs> but, but well. that, you know, that, that doesn't really count. And I'm not really in it for the record. Anyway, I'm in it for the, I, I love to drive. I like to drive at high speed. I feel like I'm at least fairly capable in the cars that I have. And it, it's, to me, it's, a, it's about the experience and the camaraderie. And I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily wanting to set the world ablaze because I have a little bit, there's, there's sort of the risk versus reward equation that you have to do with everything in life. I'm willing to risk a little bit more than most people probably are, but I don't necessarily want to risk it all 
uh, and end up losing my job because I it had to spend a week in jail for getting caught doing 190. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, that's just one of those things. You, you just got to weigh it. Right? But that's what I love about you is that, A, you have investigated this to the point where you have considered and and B, that you you are so comfortable with who you are. Uh, a lot of people can't say that. And Chase Ambrose is one of these people who is just completely comfortable being who he is. So as we get ready to wrap this up, why not a hearse? Why, why not? Don't let your first ride be your last. You know, that's, that's then put the fun back in funeral. So uh, as far but as I, but I think on the cannonball run, I mean, it's 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 a my goodness, it's it's practically built to haul a load. Why not fuel? You could go. I bet you could go coast to coast without refueling. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say two things about that. The current car that I'm doing stuff in is a 2014 Challenger that's dressed up like the General Lee. And I have a fuel cell in the trunk and a switch. And so when the, the main, it doubles my fuel capacity. But the hearse that I currently own is it's a pretty rare Ford Crown Vic hearse. And it's the same drivetrain as the P-71 Police Interceptor, but it's a hearse. So I have the total table fuel capacity of fuel that I could put fuel cells all in the back. It's something that I am considering. The top speed on that car is not really that super great, but uh, keep you out of jail. I'm telling you, it's the perfect car. You and Mitchell Brinkley could get in that thing (laughs) and just go like crazy. And uh, we'd all be following along with you. It'd be, be a lot of fun. All right. Chase Ambrose, history worth saving. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right. If you want to follow along with our newsletter, please do. It's at historyworthsaving.com. I am Matt Jolly. And for Chase Ambrose and all of his cannonball run buddies, this has been History Worth Saving. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.